coming to a country near you soon. A New Zealand-based company is already selling compressed air in tin cans with a mask. (laughs) Now, the company claims the air is collected from some of the pristine regions of New Zealand. Huh? Now, they're selling it already in India and in China. They say that air quality is at hazardous levels and people are needing fresh air. So they're buying home pure air purifiers for, you know, the family at the house, but that's not outside. And that's where the cans come in. Yes, air in a can. (laughs) You can now carry your own pure air. Nice. You have fresh water in a bottle and air in a can. Now, you, I'm not sure how many it's going to take for you to, you know, just breathe out of a can every day. But according to them, a nine liter, the can of air, lasts about 181 second inhalations. Hmm. So our regular breath is about three seconds. So that means you're only going to get about 60 inhalations. And if you use it nonstop, I mean, that's not even going to last you 10 minutes. (laughs) But hey, whatever, how much is clean pristine air from new zealand worth to you huh that's what i thought you can buy a pack of four and now you're gonna have to it doesn't say what the american exchange is so i'm not real sure but you can purchase four for 99.9 nzds yay and an rs50 or an nzd one every minute of survival so man you are looking good pure fresh new zealand air coming to a country near you very very soon welcome (laughs) welcome welcome to chewing the fat All right, so I've got to lead with uh, my mistake. I was, uh, you can stop emailing me. You can stop messaging me. I've already been hollered at from my son, Maximus. Uh, You know Maximus. He joins myself and Jason Buttrell on Talking Walking Dead every week. He came down from upstairs yesterday afternoon saying, Dad, Dad, I'm listening to the show. And it's Logan Paul that fights Mayweather. It's not Jake. You keep calling him Jake. It's not Jake Paul. It's Logan Paul. Okay, I got it. So apparently, because I care so much, I was saying that it was Jake Paul fighting Mayweather when we talked about the Paul Mayweather fight or the Mayweather Paul fight yesterday on the show. So I'll just let me out front, lead with the mistakes. I apologize. It's Logan Paul, it's Mayweather versus Paul, and it's Logan Paul, not Jake Paul. Jake Paul is the one who got kicked out of the stadium after stealing Floyd's hat at their first press conference, and he was banned from the stadium, and now, of course, it was just a bit, so we're going to go ahead and allow him back into the stadium for fight night, which is this coming Sunday. But I apologize, okay? It was my fault. I don't know what I was thinking. I was probably thinking, I don't really care which Paul brother it is. But, you know, I apologize. We have to get it right. So, I understand. It's Logan Paul fighting Floyd Mayweather this weekend, not Jake. There. All right. Out of the way. A new analysis of a Census Bureau survey found that the last two stimulus checks led to more than a 40% drop in food insecurity and financial instability among families. So that's good to know, huh? And over a 20% drop in anxiety and depression. Okay. I mean, critics had argued the checks were wasteful and questioned whether they'd reached the people most in need. Now we know it helped. So... Good. Now, the study didn't address the effect on the U.S. deficit, 
<laughs> we know what the effect on the U.S. deficit was, but I digress. And it didn't address whether it gave people less motivation to find a job. Hmm. I think we know that as well. Yesterday, it said uh, Fortune 500 said that uh, 41 women are leading the U.S.'s largest companies. That's an all-time record. Well, congratulations to the 41 women who are now leading 41 of the Fortune 500 companies. Among the CEOs are Ross Brewer from Walgreens Boots Alliance and uh, Thesunda Brown Duckett from TIAA, uh, the first Time two black women are on the list simultaneously. Another name to know is Citigroup's Jane Frazier, the first woman to lead a major U.S. bank. And that's still not good enough, okay? Uh, women still only hold 8.1% of CEO spots on the Fortune 500 list. So get over it, okay? Move aside, white man. Let the women in. And also, uh, the Czech Republic has took up a proposal that would allow women to choose if they want ova in their last names in the country women typically have their father's or husband's surname um with ova tacked on you know like uh if your last name was say novak and it becomes novakova novakova but uh this been this pro i mean this practice has been deemed really really sexist and and it is oh my gosh so a former minister has now proposed ending the linguistic norm and the country's senate is going to take up the vote on the change so we're not going to have any more of this sexist linguistic norm going on in the czech republic also in california governor gavin newsom has put 41 counties under a state of emergency in an attempt to drastically limit water use. Some scientists say the region is facing the worst drought in centuries. The water levels of 1,500 plus reservoirs in California are 50% lower than normal at this time of the year. Wow, that is per Jay Lund, the co-director of the Center for Watershed Sciences at UC Davis, and who doesn't love the Center for Watershed Sciences at UC Davis. This means huge cuts to the water that farmers in the state use to produce over 25% of the country's food supply. So, so much for that almond milk. (laughs) I mean, California accounts for 80% of the U.S. almond supply. But because of shrinking water allocation, some farmers are just bulldozing down the old thirsty almond trees. Officials are predicting the water level of Lake Oroville to hit, which is the lake of, of record for water, I'm, I'm told, uh, is going to hit a record low in August. And if that happens, they would need to shut down a major hydroelectric power plant. Oh, that's it, though. We just shut it down. Oh, okay. Which uh, will put extra strain on the electrical grid from and that's the hottest part of the summer plus california gets i forget what the percentage is of power that they get from out of state they don't even produce their own power uh in april california announced they're driving 146 of the 15 146 truckloads of 15 million plus salmon to the pacific ocean because the fish wouldn't be able to swim in the dangerously shallow, warm waterways connecting the state's central valley to the ocean. That is so nice of California. Yeah, the water's getting too low. We're going to ship the salmon. <laughs> Throw them in the back of a truck. Take them to the ocean. Five of the six largest wildfires in modern California history happened last year. Uh, 30 people died because of it. If there's a drought going on now, you can count on more fires this year. Wow. And that will have more consequences to the agricultural community and wildlife preservation, tourism industries. That's it, though. That's it. So it's going to be a fun, fun time in California. You can count on that. Wow. That's just uh, that's a nightmare. That's amazing 
that they would shut down the hydroelectric power plant? Just shut it down? Yeah, we don't have enough water. And just shut it down. You know what? Shut it off. Make it go dark. Turn the lights off. You guys go home. We'll call you back when we get a little bit of rain. Oh, oh okay. Uh, no problem. And we have some breaking news today on Fat Pile Friday here on Chewing the Fat. For those of you listening live on the 4th of June, 2021, uh, Mission Impossible 7 is delaying their shoot. Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible shut down until the 4th. Well, for 14 days, uh, they have a production assistant who tested positive uh, for COVID-19 and is going to self-isolate. They're, they don't know uh, how many people on the team tested positive, but they have temporarily halted production due to the positive coronavirus positive test. Wow. Just during the routine testing. Oh, you're positive. Shut it down. I mean, that's what Tom was all wound up about a few months ago, back in December, right? I mean, that was the big... How many meters is that? When people are standing around a computer and hanging out around here, yeah. what are you doing? And it went on and on. But he was right. He was right. He was, you know, we was trying to keep people working. I mean, this has been a big-time project for Tom, and he's really tried to keep everyone working during the pandemic and it was heck though they had people wanting to go home because of the lockdowns in england so some of the production crew like yeah we can we don't want to work we want to go back home and we don't know that we're going to be able to get back in uh when they you know before they open it back up i mean he and he's the one that's been paying in norway and then they were shooting in Italy, and I think Norway is where he rented uh, cruise ships for the team to live on so he would keep them isolated. Just incredible. Anyway, uh, the breaking news is Mission Impossible 7 shut down until at least June 14th with a positive COVID-19 test. Sorry, Tom Cruise. All right, let's go to the break room. I need something cold to drink desperately. Oh, yeah, here we go. So as long as we're in the break room, we might as well remind you that, uh, again, today, 6-4-2021, for those of you listening live, it's National Donut Day. I know, right? I, it's a good thing to celebrate i i could tear up some donuts right now i know that may come as a surprise but man i could tear up some serious donuts so you could get uh, from uh, you flowers chocolate covered mini donuts 48 bucks wait that, how much do i get for 48 dollars originally 60 dollars from your flowers, chocolate-covered mini donuts, $48. Original price, 60 bucks. I mean, that's a good deal, but it doesn't say how many I get. Harry and David Simply Chocolate Marshmallow Donuts, $43. Okay, what's going on? Angel Food Bakery Vanilla Jumbo Donut Cake, $89. The 1-800-Baskets.com Chocolate Donut and Cake Pop Bouquet. $50. Those look good, though. Oh, man. I bet you those are good. Stan's Donuts Gluten-Less Donuts Assortment. $59. We got to get in the donut business. We got to get in the donut business. All right. Well, let's talk about something where we can get donuts like right now. So Krispy Kreme... Duncan and Tim Hortons are all running donut discounts for customers. That's cool. DiGiorno also created a limited edition pizza donut. I'm willing to give it a try. It doesn't sound that good, but you know what? I'll try it. So at Krispy Kreme, who just went public, we talked about that yesterday, anyone, or is going to go public, anyone can get one free donut of their choice, no purchase necessary. Wow. And if you've been vaccinated you can also get a second glazed donut for free so if you've been vaccinated you get two donuts for free for you unwashed unvaccinated people one and get out 
On uh, then we have uh, Duncan is giving away free donuts with the purchase of a beverage. Oh come on! I gotta buy something. <laughs> this is gonna give me a free donut. Tim Hortons is selling donuts to rewards members for only fifty cents with any purchase over fifty cents, and the deal lasts through June fifteenth. Now that's not. I mean, they're celebrating National Donut Day for a week. That's sweet like that <laughs> so wherever you get your donuts let me take a look at the picture of the donut pizza Ooh, e i don't know am i gonna take am i gonna try it yes do i not necessarily want it uh, correct i don't necessarily want it but you can win it you can win one of the lucky few to try the dejournut <laughs> no purchase necessary must be 18 years of age or older in the u.s and dc i like how they're separating dc now like it's not really part of the united states oh, okay it needs to be a, a post state does it okay whatever that's enough i got you but a little, a little agonizing anyway uh you can enter at uh the is it DiGiorno.com? Probably. Let's see the link here that it has in their tweet. You can follow at DiGiorno. Uh, keep life delicious. Nestle USA. Nice. Nestle. DiGiorno is part of the Nestle family. Nice. So you can enter, and they've got a long list of, you know, who can, what can happen for you to win. But it's possible that you're going to win the pizza donut or the DiGiorno. <laughs> Jeez. Ridiculous. And you see in Florida, uh, this is Florida. This is Florida. So a man was attacked by an iguana. And he is saying that he killed it due to the stand your ground law. Now he's saying that because he wants to get out of animal cruelty charges. That could put him up behind bars for, I don't know, five years for killing an iguana. Come on now. So he's accused of brutally plummeling, pummeling, pup, I can't, brutally pummeling, brutally pummeling an iguana to death. And he was just defending himself. That's what he claimed. <laughs> so the stand your ground law, of course, allows people to use force if threatened. And there's no requirement to have to retreat. So he claimed he was in fear for his life and the, against the three foot iguana. The vicious animal got the best of the man, savagely bit his right arm. Wow, he received 22 staples for his injury, and we're still we're going to charge him with animal cruelty? Come on, that's enough. Stop it. The animal had leaned forward with its mouth wide open and showing its sharp teeth in a threatening manner. Killing an iguana, I thought you could do that in Florida. But apparently, oh, you, you can stab them, you can punch them with a shovel, but they can't suffer. Oh, and this animal suffered, this defenseless animal. At least 17 times he was kicked and caused him to death. Clearly, clearly he tormented the animal, which was found to have a lacerated liver, a broken pelvis, and internal bleeding. That may have happened with a shovel. I mean, okay, no, stop it. This whole thing is just silly. I mean, if, if he was actually attacked from the iguana, which, I mean, he got, he was injured, according to the story, then the iguana should not have any rights. Boy, that's weird saying that, thinking that an iguana would have rights to begin with, but okay. And we did the story on uh, Pat this morning and i've i found it fascinating so there's 15 elephants that are in this chinese city they've roamed 300 miles across southern china in the longest movement recorded in the country by the animals researchers and they are according to the story mystified this herd of wild asian elephants are in uh, southwestern china's yunnan province and they're just looking for better food. Maybe they've gotten lost. Well, maybe we point them in the right direction then. And we just say, go that way. And we put a couple trucks behind them and herd them down the road. 
So I don't understand. They've devoured truckloads of corn and pineapples. <laughs> they've tried to divert them to other areas, and they've just continued along their way. And we don't know what's going to happen to them. We're just letting them move around. Wow. So I know that they've captivated the world now, and they've captivated Chinese social media, but they've already caused over a million dollars worth of damage. Now, I don't know what all that damage is, but if they're starting to damage homes and vehicles and places of business, then it's time to do something. I, I really don't understand why we're just letting this happen. There's, uh, and I said there's 15. This story says there's 16 elephants. Wow. And we can't do anything about it? No. If we can't do anything about these elephants, it's the world has gone mad. There's no doubt about that. Now, the picture from above here has, what, two, four, six, seven, eight, nine. Shows nine of them, two little baby elephants. So the others are off somewhere else destroying someone else's property. So I say we, I mean, we talked about it this morning, but really, the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus people, they're doing nothing. Bring them in. Let's herd them up and move them out. Herd them up and move them out. But to just let them wander around and destroy property, even though it's China and I barely care, um, we need that. We can't allow this to happen. Because if we're going to allow it to happen there, the next thing you know, it's going to be allowed here. And that's when I say, we all say, uh, how about no? Speaking of how about no, you hear about the Jay Cutler, former NFL quarterback, and his, well, ex-wife, or soon-to-be ex-wife, and they're separated, Kristen, Calv- Kristen Cavallari. Uh, she has a lifestyle company, Uncommon James. And they've been going through the divorce, and they've they've got uh, I I think that they have joint custody of their children. They have three kids, um, eight, seven, and five, uh, two boys and a daughter. And apparently now Jay wants half of her company. I would say uh, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Uh, if she, if it was his company. And if she wanted half in the divorce, no one would think anything of it. Now she, you know, I don't know. We'll, you know, we'll see how it works out. It could be, this could be just because he's mad at her or whatever. But she is like, uh, how about no? <laughs> it's not your company. I started it with my money and I did it with my funds. And we'll see if that's actually true. But, and she also said that him wanting half of the company, well, he thinks he owns half of the company. He does not. And that is not in our non-existent prenup. So <laughs> she is having a none of it. Uh, you can keep saying to yourself that it's half yours, but it is not. And apparently... During this custody agreement and their, you know, divorce announcement and everything, uh, Cutler wanted to come and talk to the company. And he claims that he supported the business and, you know, he praised the cookbook and he praised her on Instagram. Oh, that's so nice, Jay. That's so nice of you. But he wanted to, uh, he wanted to talk to the company speak to the employees and she was like uh how about no <laughs> uh i'm potentially creating a monster if i let him go in so that is not gonna happen so we'll see what happens there i you know i want to be on her side and say jay come on now i don't know how much money jay has made over the years it says here he's worth 30 million Okay, uh, I think that's okay. You know, you give, uh, you set up a couple of trust funds for the kids. You give a house to the wife, and you both move on with your lives. What do you think? Oh, man, I've already taken care of it for him. We are at a tipping point in America. With 400,000 children in the U.S. foster care system and a quarter of those awaiting a forever family, Christians must step up. This is Jack Graham, senior pastor at Prestonwood Baptist Church, inviting you to Chosen, 
a summit addressing these urgent needs on Saturday, April 13th. Chosen will empower churches to begin foster care and adoption ministries and equip families who are adopting or fostering. We have great speakers joining me, including Sadie Robertson Huff and Governor Greg Abbott of the great state of Texas, along with dozens of breakout sessions. I urge you to join us and help make a difference in the lives of these precious children. Register at Prestonwood.org chosen. You're welcome. Disney Plus continues to lead the pack of the new streaming services. They just announced that they have reached 94.9 million subscribers. Alrighty then. Now they're talking about their revenue uh, plunged 28% from a year earlier levels, which, you know, I guess people are paying less for it, maybe. Um, the subscriber growth was at the high end of the uh, Allen. Yeah, no kidding. ESPN Plus is now at 12.1 million subscribers, nearly double the amount of a year ago. Hulu rose 30% to 39.4 million subscribers across its on-demand service and the Hulu Plus live TV bundle. With 4 million subscribers to the live bundle, Hulu is now the fifth largest pay TV operator in the U.S. Wow. So, I mean, that's... I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say 94.9 million subscribers for Disney is pretty darn good. That's just me, though. I'm just going out on a just going out on a limb, and, and uh, we'll see. Etsy has acquired the thrifting app Depop for $1.6 billion. <laughs> wow. So for Etsy, according to this, the median seller is about 39 so Depop's overwhelmingly Gen Z user base, more than 90% of its users are under 26. I, I'm going to have to start using Depop, I think. It's like a secondhand shopping platform. I like it. It's the, it's the thrift store of, of, the web, of the web world. So more than 26 million users across 147 countries buy and sell apparel and accessories. Revenue, which mostly comes from the commission Depop charges per sale, doubled last year to $70 million. Sales grew faster last year than its fashion resale rivals uh, Poshmark and ThreadUp. Wow, more than $650 million worth of goods traded hands on Depop in 2020. Uh, congratulations, Amazon announced it's going to no longer include marijuana in its drug screening for some of its workers. Now, if you have a position that's regulated by the Department of Transportation, it's, you know, you, you're still going to not be able to smoke that pot, but they're going to treat marijuana like alcohol. We'll see how that turns out for them. Other employees, uh, Hospitality Ventures, a management group that runs Marriott and Hilton hotels, have also dropped marijuana testing, so uh, presumably they're going to attract hard-to-find staff. Okay. Seven million drug tests conducted for employers by Quest Diagnostics last year. 2.7% came back positive for marijuana. But the number has been rising slowly uh, since 2016 as more states legalize recreational use. All right. We'll see. Uh, I got it. Everybody wants to be able to smoke pot. We'll see how it works out. Won't we? Yes, we will. Get ready also for the Surgeon Made in the Southwest stickers. Get this. From January 2017 to January 2020. Five states in the Southwest, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, of course, Oklahoma, and Nevada, accounted for 30% of the job growth in manufacturing. Uh, thank you. No kidding. So, I mean, get ready for Made in the Southwest stickers. It should already be on them. No, no problem. And uh, 
This is the world that we live in now, for sure. A research compliance specialist, and I don't even know if this story is true, but, you know, it's in the headline list. Porta Twit, T-W-I-D-T-C, I don't even know if that's real, Twit. Her name is Twit. No, I, I, it makes the story not real. But according to this, she decided to quit her job after her employer asked her to come back to work for a six-minute meeting. Companies that require workers to return to the office after one year of work from home might be at risk of losing them to more remote-friendly companies. That's what this is all about from Bloomberg. We want more people working from home and be more businesses to start becoming remote-friendly companies. No way. That's a real story. Portia twit. <laughs> yeah, okay. She quit her job because she didn't want to come back for a six-minute meeting. I doubt that very much. And we talked the other day about Twitter uh, upping their game, or so-called upping their game, with Twitter Blue. So right now, only Australian and Canadian users can pay around $3 a month to access blue features, like a 30-second grace period to undo or edit a tweet before it's posted, prioritized customer support, reader mode for easier viewing of threads, and color scheme customization for the app. Um, okay, I know everybody's been begging for the edit button. That would be nice. An edit button would be nice, but they are not giving you that. So you can get uh, the Twitter's product team, I guess, has given some new features or they're going to be giving new features, launching uh, of these new features sometime in the future. A virtual tip jar, super follows for individual users to charge for subscriptions, voice-based direct messages and tweets, features that limit the spread of misinformation and prevent harassment. I hope that moves to the top of the list. Because Lord knows we don't want to spread misinformation and we don't want to have harassment. We want to prevent that. So that better move to the to the, stop, the top of the list. They're going to have uh, stories, which I don't know what they're going to call it. Um, in this particular story, they're calling it fleets. <laughs> but I don't know what they're going to call it. Uh, they call it, uh, you know, twit stories. And spaces which is, a, I guess, a clubhouse competitor. So more good news coming out of our Internet world right there. You know, we talked the other day about uh, the airline industry and how they are struggling with the passengers who are, you know, becoming uh, unruly. And, uh, you know, I kind of, I think I got a little upset, and I didn't really mean to get upset about it. Well, yes, I did, because uh, it's partly the airline's fault. But according to this now, American Airlines said it expects, or they expect, 47 of its top 50 corporate accounts to start traveling again this year. Okay, Uh, that sounds pretty good. I would like to see, okay, so 47 of the 50 corporate accounts, the top corporate accounts, say they're going to start traveling again. That doesn't mean they're going to reach the levels they were at. I'm sorry, no. Uh, Hilton CEO said that Memorial Day weekend was the busiest its hotels have been in the COVID era. 93% of the rooms were occupied. That's good news. And when you look around, I, I'm not kidding you. Now, there's a there's one um, one hotel that I, I don't know why. I just happen to look at it every, when I drive into the studios. It's uh, it's not far from the studios. And I remember during you know COVID driving by it, and I mean, Nobody was there. You know, I mean, it was just lights out. And uh, this morning, I drove by, and you know, there's that parking lot was maybe half full, but that's on a Friday, a Friday morning. You know, at four thirty in the morning. So, I mean, we're back. America is back. Let's get this taken care of. (laughs) And I see where United Airlines, as long as we're speaking of the airlines, is buying fifteen supersonic net zero carbon jets from boom supersonic supposed to fly supposed to fly twice as fast as today's passenger jets okay i'm good with that let's go get up in the air and get me there and look if it's if they fly great if their net zero carbon aircraft is 
on 100% sustainable aviation fuel. Okay, I'm okay with that. That's fine. But I don't want to be screwed up. You know, if we could get this thing off the ground, uh, we'd be twice as fast as everybody else. But we can't get it off. So that's the way it goes. Right now, they're saying that a flight between Newark to Heathrow taking three hours and 30 minutes instead of six hours and 30 minutes. All right, let's go. Supposed to roll out in 2025. First flight in 2026. Let's make that move up the pace a little bit. Let's get it here now. I'm, I like the sound of that. I mean, who doesn't fly back and forth from Newark to Heathrow? I mean, on a, you know, darn near weekly basis. So, I mean, three hours and 30 minutes. And that really is huge for the Hollywood crowd because there's so many people who live in the United Kingdom that come here to work or from here to there to work. So uh, that's really big. I mean, it takes that's a big chunk of your time uh, flying back and forth. So it take you, you know, the it take you back and forth what it takes now one way. That's pretty huge. I don't know if you know this, but time is the one thing you can't buy more of. Just let you know. You you can quote me on that. And I asked people to uh, email me with uh, their vaccine stories, whether they were going to get vaccinated or not, and why. One of them came from uh, Leslie. She emailed chewingthefatattheblaze.com, uh, blaze.com, chewingthefatattheblaze.com. And uh, she said that, uh, you know, big fan, anti-vaxxer and anti-masker. I let myself get talked into the vaccine. I'm 5'3", 285 pounds, type 2 diabetes. Wife and daughters guilted me. In parentheses, don't ask. As a listener, the J&J was my choice. I know. I One and done, right? And plus, she was saying uh, not mRNA. She got, uh, she got it on May 4th, so it's been a month. And she's had zero symptoms or side effects. No tail, extra toes, or fingers. Not even a third eye. Wow. Not even uh, magnetic. Wow. You talk about getting ripped off. <laughs> You did, my friend. You did. So she claims in the email that she's not selling me on it. She's just sharing her experience. So there you have I mean, there's one person who got the vaccine against her, you know, gut feeling, and it's fine, right? Um, so I don't know. Do you go with your gut, uh, or do you just kind of stick in the vaccine hesitant and wait for a little bit more information? I, I don't know. I really don't know what to tell you. You know, we have, we talked about now there's 52% of, at least 52% of the United States that is vaccinated. Hell, we've got so many vaccines, we're giving it away to other countries now. How come we don't sell some of that? Uh, Let's make a little bit of money. Uh, We've spent quite a bit of money in the last few years. How about we sell a little bit of that? We have some extra vaccines here. Want some? Here. We know your country is really needing it. We'll sell it to you, okay? But, you know, we're just too darn nice for that. But apparently, we have a new study that claimed to have proof the scientists created COVID-19 in the lab. (gasps) How dare you talk about that? I know, I know, but there's a big story. The study concludes the likelihood of it being the result of natural processes is very small okay uh i guess all right then there was another study that showed where the chinese military bioengineered rodents that they were using in gene editing technology known as crispr and it was mentioned in an april 2020 study that the u.s government virologists flagged for national security council officials investigating the origin of coronavirus so what did they do yeah they created mice with humanized lungs to test the infectiousness of various viruses huh you don't think anything happened there do you 
When the NSC investigators worked backward to establish a timeline for the study, they realized that the critters were created sometime during the summer of 2019, before the coronavirus pandemic. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, they made these so that uh, they wanted to see how the mice susceptibility can't even say that word i can't what words can i not even speak today the uh, susceptibility to the virus that causes covid19 oh wait what yeah yeah so you know there's that <laughs> but those agencies and that information dismissed they didn't care we don't want to see it so i don't know what to tell you if you want to get the vaccine Good luck, God bless. If you don't want to get the vaccine, stand over there, would you? Because I don't really, you know, it's fine. It's all good, but you stay over there. (laughs) It's ridiculous. So we've got so much space news. I've got a a long list of space news to get to. I, I don't know what to get to first. I guess we can go to the government UFO report that finds no evidence flying objects are aliens but does not rule out the possibility oh really okay now i would say from that that it's us right i want to believe that it's us and those while we're saying that uh you know they're not aliens that means that they're you know products objects that we are creating And, of course, the government said, well, we can't reach a definitive conclusion about what these unidentified flying objects are. Many remain a mystery. Oh. Okay. What about it being from us? Did you throw that in there? Why, yes. Yes, they did. They said it could not tie most of the more than 120 incidents over the last two decades to the u.s military or other advanced government technology but i guess it leaves the possibility open that those objects were created by other countries like china and russia just not us uh okay you know what we believe you do we I mean, I've got so much, so many space stories to get to. We can talk about the new propulsion system that they're working on. We've got to talk about that. We can talk about uh, Amazon and their whining to Congress looking to get some more money. We can talk about Elon Musk. You know, let's talk about Elon Musk just for a second because he's, you know, Mr. Space now. But this really doesn't have to do with space. It has to do with how he violated the SEC agreement. So he had a, had a settlement with the SEC. They were the company Tesla was supposed to uh, look over all his tweets before they were tweeted. Oh, okay. Uh, no problem. So I guess that didn't happen. So for in the past two years, he has tweeted some things that were questionable from the SEC two things wait what yeah two tweets from elon uh, in the past two years have run afoul of an agreement with the u.s securities and exchange commission oh no oh no they were supposed to approve certain posts he makes on the social media site oh no what are you gonna do come on now really two tweets delete those elon that'll be it okay no problem we good now thank you have a good day really all i want to talk about is gary cooper (laughs) i know don't look at me like that yeah i'm talking about gary cooper the hollywood actor i mean one of the greatest actors of all time i read a story on gary cooper last night and i am fascinated with this guy he had a great life and he pretty much 
took care of Hollywood business with every Hollywood starlet and some other women. And they all loved him. And he threw most of them to the curb. And they still just loved him. So he had a 35-year career that started in the silent movies and then in the, you know, classic Hollywood golden age. And he was known for playing the all-American hero and many of his cowboy roles, right? Particularly, I mean, the big one was High Noon. So he was born in Helena, Montana, the mean streets of Helena, Montana, hometown of Pat Gray, on, uh, in 1901. He was the youngest, and his parents moved from England. So he was first-generation American. Now, he grew up on the cattle ranch, but the mom took him back to England for school for three or four years until they officially moved 100% to America. So when he was uh, in 1909, when he was 15, he was involved in a really bad car accident, which he apparently was lucky to survive. And so the accident left him scarred. It hurt his, he injured his hip. And the recommendation from the doctor was, yeah, you know, you probably need to recuperate by horseback riding. (laughs) Oh, okay. So he does, and it screws him up forever, right? So he always walked with that, you know, stiff, off-balanced walk, little limp, and he sat on the horses kind of sideways. Uh, But he had great horsemanship, and uh, that's what gave him the edge over other actors when he first started in movies in 1925. I mean, the guy before that, before 1925, before he started being, uh, you know, like the stunt guy, he spent a month in Chicago working as an artist and then came back to Montana and did editorial cartoons for the independent newspaper. I mean, he was kind of an artist. And then he went out to Hollywood and started uh, doing uh, stunt work, which he called uh, tough and cruel. So to move beyond the dangerous stunt work he paid for a screen test and hired casting director nan collins as his agent she said uh you know why don't you change your name to gary Uh, i'm from gary indiana and gary cooper sounds really good so why don't you just change that and he was like yeah you know i kind of like that okay so not long after that his career in movies started he began landing film roles in all these westerns and non-western roles incredible and he, uh, because he grew up on a farm, I mean, on a ranch in Montana, he again outshone all these others. And he had this, you know, dynamic personality. And in fact, the, the, after the one movie, the first movie in 1926, the, all the, the all of the uh, reviewers said, he's a dynamic new personality and a future star. So Goldwyn offers him a deal five-year contract with paramount pictures for 175 dollars a week and that's what he starts you know he starts making movies and he gets romantically entangled with this mexican firecracker uh lupe valez uh famed for her fire dis- fiery disposition who once attacked cooper with a knife hurting him so bad he needed stitches while filming in 1930 with marlena dietrich who was uh in love with the coop uh velez shows up and insisted on accompanying the duo to the set every day sitting in cooper's lap to make sure dietrich didn't try anything <laughs> and then at one time she shoots at cooper trying to get on a train in chicago but missed him <laughs> so then he starts a love affair with carol lombard and i mean that was just inc- i mean he starts with that but the problem with that was is that Carol Lombard was already married to Clark Gable. So that went over real good, especially when everything had, was all done. And apparently Lombard told Gable, yeah, uh, I really had a much better time with Cooper. And uh, apparently she told him, uh, you know, Coop was uh, bigger as well. <laughs> so Clark Gable and Gary Cooper weren't really the best of friends. So then after that, apparently he got depressed. So he lost 40 pounds and he was, you know, he had fame and wealth. And so he just didn't know what to do. So he packs a bag and he sails to Algiers. And then he goes to Italy 
where he lives with this countess, an, a married countess, an American-born eccentric Dorothy Caldwell-Taylor, and she was married to some big Italian figure, which made her the Countess Dorothy DeFrasso. He takes a 10-week safari to Africa with her, then brings her back to Hollywood, and it looks like you know they might even tie the knot. But no, no, not so fast. Uh, no, 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 no. In 1936, Paramount Studios prepared Cooper for a new contract that would raise his salary to $8,000 a week. But Cooper signed a contract with Samuel Goldwyn for six films in as many years with a guaranteed 150000 a picture. So he's pretty good. Now, Goldwyn and Cooper, they get into a lawsuit. Right, because they wanted to, uh, you know, they want uh, Paramount wanted the deal with him for eight thousand a week. So the judge, they go to court, and the judge says, you know what, uh, both contracts will still give him time to honor the deals. I mean, he can work for both of you. So they made him, he made him uh, responsible for both contracts, but that turned him into the highest wage earner in the country. I mean, he was making uh, almost five hundred thousand dollars a year at the time. A lot of money. In 1939, hello, 482000 a year? I mean, he's buying up Montana. So then he was, he was offered, at that point, a leading role in Gone with the Wind, Rhett Butler, the one that Clark Gable ended up doing. And he turned it down, and he said, oh, that's going to be a flop. It's the biggest flop in history. I'm glad that it'll be Clark Gable who's falling on his face. <laughs> now, of course, you know, the exact opposite happened. So no telling whether Cooper was bummed or he was just, you know, whatever. Or I had your wife move on. <laughs> so then he's back in the U.S. now. When he came back from uh, Italy and Africa with the Countess, he was on fire, right? He signed the New Deal, and he made all these movies, and some of them were huge. And Mr. Deeds goes to town, meet John Doe, Sergeant York. Uh, he was, uh, you know, he knew what made his character great, and that was him being a hero, being an American hero, right? The great American hero. So that was the deal. And then he took on the role of Lou Gehrig, and it wasn't even because he liked baseball. He didn't even care for it too much. He said that uh, he met with Gehrig's wife after he after Lou died, and Eleanor told Cooper that if she could have anyone play her husband, it would be him. So he agreed. And he's got a close relationship with Ernest Hemingway. They were friends and got together. In fact, Cooper's rugged image was the inspiration for Hemingway, Hemingway's character, of Robert Jordan for the novel for the whom for whom the bell tolls uh Gary was married to New York debutante Veronica Rocky Belf from 1933 until his death now he had affairs with uh plenty of actresses Patricia Neal Grace Kelly Lorraine Chanel Giselle Pascal and it was rumored that he had a homosexual affair with the long life friend and actor Anderson Lawler <laughs> so and then he had clara bow and lupe valez as well you remember her the mexican firecracker there's a story that she pulled down cooper's pants zipper she unzipped him at a party claiming that i could smell her cologne oh no his cologne actor lalo's cologne oh that's where they get the uh that's where they get the homosexual affair from. So she could smell Lawler's cologne. <laughs> now, maybe Cooper just used Lawler's cologne. I mean, it's possible. And then he had an affair with Ingrid Bergman. Wow. I mean, this guy was on fire, man. And they all, in 1948, after working uh, Fountainhead, he began an affair with Patricia Neal. This was a big one for him. Uh, she was just a uh, 21 at the time. <laughs> he was like 49. Um, so, and he was in love with her. Now this was a big affair that was kept discreet, but eventually was, you know, part of Hollywood gossip. According to this, Cooper's wife confronted him. Are they, you're sleeping with Patricia Neal? Yeah, it's true. Uh, I, I, uh, you know, it's true. And, uh, I'm going to continue to see her. So move on with your life. Okay. Just be my wife and go in the other room. 
<laughs> so apparently he thought he was in love with Neil and she was in love with him and she got pregnant with his child. And when he found out he wanted her to have a, an abortion and Patricia said, no, that's not going to happen. And so then, uh, they broke up and he went back to his wife and, uh, then later Patricia tried to reunite with him and he was like, no, take a hike. So she ended up, I mean, in the end, she ended up leaving Hollywood, really. And his final love affair was with a costume designer, Irene Lenz. Now, Lenz claimed that the two had an affair, and uh, that's why she took her own life a year after he died, because she said she couldn't live without him. Oh, okay. Um, No problem. And then... uh, he had another affair with his co-star Grace Kelly that was devastating news to Patricia Neal as well. <laughs> so, I mean, my man. And it goes on to talk about him, uh, you know, performing for the World War II veterans and how much that meant to him. He traveled all over the world. He did skits and he, you know, he met Douglas MacArthur and he shared the same sparse living conditions with the troops and he said it was you know the greatest emotional experience of his life and then he was part of the hollywood uh red scare with the communist party they did uh, they've done fbi and cia had reports on him which were you know because he was in one of the movies he played but he wasn't he was everything but and then his Buddy Carl Foreman was subpoenaed by the House of the Un-American Activities Committee for being a former member of the Communist Party. And Gary was like, no, that's that's not right. So he uh, went before Congress and stood up for his buddy. And it was a big deal. And if it would have backfired, I mean, he's out, right? He's blacklisted. Uh, No, you're not going against Gary Cooper. So he and his friend, neither of them were blacklisted. Thank you. Uh, no, you're not messing with me. Okay. In fact, Cooper was way far from being a communist sympathizer. In the 40s, he founded the Motion Picture Alliance for the Preservation of American Ideals to uphold the American way of life and keep communist and fascist ideals out of Hollywood movies. <laughs> How'd that work out? How'd that work out? Because I, I just try to remember, uh, boy, what a big alliance that has become, right? The Motion Picture Alliance for the Preservation of American Ideals to uphold the American way of life and keep communist and fascist ideals out of Hollywood. Wow. Did that last a long time? Huh? Yeah. And then it talks about how he's such a big deal. And then in 1960... He underwent surgery for prostate cancer, later uh, had a tumor removed from his intestine. Then just after Christmas 1960, his wife, Veronica, received news that her husband's cancer had spread to his lungs and bones. He was dying. Family decides not to tell him. They go on holiday to England and France. Gary goes hiking one last time with his friend Ernest Hemingway. And then they come back to L.A. and the wife says, oh, by the way. Uh, you're really, really sick, and you're going to be dying soon. And he died in May of 1961 at the age of 60 years of age. 60 years. I mean, just incredible life, Gary Cooper. I know. I know. I just, I, I've read the story, and the guy is just incredible. Plus, he died at 60 years old. You know, all those Hollywood guys, Humphrey Bogart and all those guys, they all died in their 50s and 60s. And you would think that they were so much older because they, they looked so much older but uh, today's 50 is not the 50 of yesteryear. I'll tell you that. <laughs> you can quote me on that. Today's 50 is not the 50 of yesteryear. All right, I've gone on and on about Gary Cooper. I, I know. I'm sorry. Have a good weekend. Thanks for listening to Chewing the Fat. I mean, have a good rest of your day whenever you're listening to this show. But Gary Cooper was an amazing guy and had an amazing life and took care of a lot of Hollywood business. Oh, sure, he was an adulterer, so what? He paid for it in the end. 
he went before the pope and the pope forgave him and he became a christian and ended up you know becoming a catholic in hollywood and went to the good shepherd in beverly hills catholic church and he was baptized again as an adult and so let it go let it go okay i guess that's the way to do it though take care of some serious business when you're young and then you know ask for forgiveness later isn't that the way it's supposed to work i think it is